to the Ephesians, and what did what did that culture have uh, in the way of buildings? Well, obviously they uh, actually Ephesians had a, a very huge temple. Uh, let's yes, and this is a this is a rendering. This is a, a kind of an image that was um, from history. What we understand of this uh, this temple, but it's the temple to the goddess uh, uh, Artemis, as the Greeks knew her, and Diana, as the Romans knew her. But it's a massive, massive structure, and uh, it was um, so. It was still in place during the time that uh, the Ephesians received this letter. Um, it was torn down sometime after that, but but we know from uh, the account in Acts that uh, the Apostle Paul was there and there was a great uh, uproar and part of it was uh, it mentions the silversmith that was uh, building um, probably items, idols for this uh, particular temple. So the, the Ephesians uh, understood something about temples and about buildings but also the uh, the Jewish uh, recipients of this letter understood something about temples. Uh, also, in, um, of course, they had a, quite a history of Solomon. I'm sorry, Solomon's temple, and then which was torn down, and then it was rebuilt, and uh, then that was torn down, and then Herod rebuilt it. And so, during the time that that this was written, Herod's temple was in place, and so these uh, these Jewish Believers would understand something about temples and buildings as well as the as the Greeks, but but uh, so God is taking something that is known to us to the readers and and trying to communicate something that's unknown. And so, what is what is it about the church that He wants us to understand here? But first, I I think it's interesting, or we shouldn't talk about who the architect is of this building. Uh, and it doesn't specifically say in this passage, but we understand from the context and the the words that are used that is God Himself is designing the building, and a, and uh, He uh, well what what do we know about God the Architect from other uh, scripture and other experiences and observations? But of course, we see His design throughout creation, His handiwork, but but in Scripture even we see. <laughs> Examples of his architecture. Of his, he is a master architect. Um, you think about Noah's Ark, for example. He he gave specific uh, instructions as far as the dimensions and what the material was to be, and uh, how many stories. It had three stories, and it was so many cubits long and so many cubits wide, and it housed all the animals and their feed and Noah and his family. And you know what? It it floated first time <laughs> he didn't have to build any scale models or <laughs> do any test work it it was perfect it was exact but uh, we could also think of the temp of the tabernacle and if we read through the exodus uh, starting at about chapter 25 it goes on and on and on until our eyes kind of glaze over giving the the details of the structure and all the furnishings he specified the dimensions and the materials and how the wood was to be overlaid with metal. And what does that tell us about God? I mean, he is 
exact in the details. He's leaving nothing to chance. And uh, in fact, he even picked two of the craftsmen. Uh, this is totally amazing. Uh, Belzalel and Ohaliab <laughs> were two men out of the thousands of men that were there, uh, and probably many of them thousands of craftsmen. But God said, I want these two men. I've equipped them. I've put my spirit in them. And I want them to do the metal work and stonework in certain uh, instances. And he specified what that would be. So he left nothing to chance. He's the, he's the master architect. So when it comes to the church, would he leave anything to chance? <laughs> okay, he built the foundation, and we all know what, how, how important the foundation is for a building. But he built it on the apostles and prophets. He, and how did those apostles come about? Well, he handpicked the apostles. <laughs> Jesus picked, handpicked the Simon and Peter and so on. He said, follow me. And we know from uh, Acts chapter 9, the, the account of the conversion of Saul, uh, God, the Spirit told Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine <laughs> to bear my name before the Gentiles and so on. He, he was chosen, he was picked, he was handpicked. God was not leaving anything to chance, but he builds, he builds the, uh, uses them and their word, the pro- proclaimed truth, is the foundation for this building. And we can bet the foundation is level and square. <laughs> and, okay, it's, it's exact. It's Okay, and, and then he mentions the cornerstone, Jesus himself being the, uh, um, being the cornerstone. And as we understand the construction during this, this period in history, it was always, there were, wasn't frame, wood frame construction, steel frame construction. It was uh, stones and so blocks, we would say, that were quarried and uh, hewn and shaped, but Jesus was the chief cornerstone. You have to have a cornerstone that, that, that everything else is squared up with and aligned with, and you end up with a wall that's plumb and square and straight. Um, so Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then what are the walls made of? Now, it doesn't tell us here. It's implied, we know from Peter, that we are a building that's uh, built with living stones. And, and so even though the term isn't used here, living the stones, we know that this is what's being fitted together and built. There's, there's stones, okay? What, um, and again, in Peter, they're called living stones. But what do we know about these stones? If we go back to chapter 1, verse 4, um, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Each of us are stones that were chosen from the foundation of the world, and he's placing us on this foundation. Okay, He's leaving nothing to chance. Okay, He's, he's the master architect. He's the wise architect. In fact, the reason I... Uh, that word wise came to me is because it's mentioned in chapter 3, verse uh, 10. 
and it says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be uh, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All the world, including the angelic world, is watching. Is God is throughout the world picking stones, choosing stones, and putting them on this foundation. Jews and Gentiles, and and it's in this uh, passage, it's speaking of the wonder of that 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 there could be unity in these Jews and Gentiles in this one building. And so he's the master architect. He's the wise architect. And um, let's see. Excuse me. Okay. And so um, what else do we know about this building? Well, it's, um, it's a dynamic building and the uh, dynamic in the sense that it's full of motion, energy, change. It's full of life. Uh, we know that more from Peter's passage, but but uh, so we could use the word organic, but that's kind of a bad word in some farming sectors. So I'm I'm not using that word. <laughs> so it's a dynamic. It's a di- dynamic building. It's 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 changing. It's being, and we see the uh, the way these words are used here. Um, the whole structure being joined together. Uh, okay, so this, and also, also in verse 22, being built together. Now, in the original language, these are very strong words. They're verbs that are compound verbs, but, but in our English, we even get the fact that it's being fitted together. It's being built up together. It's not, it's not just loosely uh, placed stones that are not interconnected. We can even imagine in a stone building, a mason building, the blocks are interlocked. They, but he says here that he's uh, that these are um, fitted together, and so you have this image of these blocks of granite or stone that come out of the quarry. They're pretty much rectangular, maybe or straight size, but they have to be fitted. They have to be hewn and and the surface sanded and prepared so that they fit together. They didn't use mortar like we would use that takes up any gaps. They, they fit almost perfectly so that there's no airspace <laughs> between them without the mortar. Okay, So it's t- together. In fact, uh, this word is so strong that it says it's not only together, but we are so mixed that nobody can tell the difference from one to the other. And, and some have used the Illustration of a, a dough. If you're if you're making bread or biscuits, and you put all the ingredients, the flour and water and things together, mix it up, you can't separate the water from the flour <laughs> and the salt. So it's all it's uh, there's a careful joining. It's there's a precise fit, and um, and so. I think that gives more meaning to the one another's. As we go through the New Testament, there's about 40 occurrences of the term one another in regard to the church and how we relate. So is, this is, there's an interconnection. And connection is a, a contemporary term, but it's a very good term. I think it's biblically what's illustrated here. There's an interconnection. And that's among us, among throughout the world. And... Uh, uh, how does this work? Well, we can't 
we can't manufacture that. It's a, the Spirit of God that's, that's causing this connection. And I was thinking of Greg, in particular, going to, to Macau and, and having connections with the church in Macau, the churches, the believers there. And even when he goes over there, we're, we're saying, okay, what are, you, what are you doing there, Greg? Well, well, I'm connecting, I'm relating, I'm building relationships. Well, what's going to be res- the result of that? We don't know, but, but God knows. But he's, he's building his church. He's wanting this, to build these relationships, these connectivities um, among us, among all the world. So it's, um, it's a great thing. It's uh, the Spirit of God is doing. Um, but being built up, in verse 22, built up together. Again, this speaks of intimacy and in, indissolvable in, uh, in union. Um, and both of these verbs are present tense. They're going on continually. It's, it's happening now. It's not, okay? So we are not, you are not, I am not, we're not merely added to the building, but we are part of the building. Okay, okay. Um, again, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, Growing, it's it's uh, present tense. It's happening as believers are added to the building, to the structure. It continues to grow. Okay. Okay. What else can we see here? Um, well, it's a holy temple, um, and you might first ask, okay, well, uh, help me understand this because aren't our bodies individually aren't they temples of the spirit? Yes, they are, and that's a that's a wonderful truth, and we revel in that, and and. Uh, and let us not ever discount that. But this passage is talking about a corporate indwelling. It's a corporate uh, building. It's the, t- the way these words are used together, together, the whole context tells us that it's, it's, it's us being melded together. It's different pieces. We're melded together. We're interconnected. So this is a corporate dwelling. It's not just a collection of individuals that are each indwelt by the Spirit, and we, we sometimes come together, that would be a collection, okay? This is a corporate uh, in dwelling. Okay, so <clears throat> it's uh, composed of all believers in the world, and it's holy, it's set apart, um, consecrated to God, and it's to be undefiled. Um, we, if we take this image from the the Old Testament, um, which was understood, um, the, and we're going to get to it, but there, well, let's get to that now. The temple was, the word that's used here is for the inner sanctuary. It's the Holy of Holies. <clears throat> there was an out, out, outer temple also. Some outer, I'm going to have to have some water. Dear, can you please, maybe, I'm sorry. I've been fighting. <clears throat> I've had a frog all, all week, and I think it's empty. Can you get some more? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, the, the, the temple, the word temple here <clears throat> is uh, the word for the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and it was true of the tabernacle. It was later true of the, of the uh, temple. But <clears throat> it's where the high priest went in once a year and... Uh, only once a year, but he had to be totally cleansed. And if um, if he went in in any unclean manner, manner he just died. 
he just died on the spot. Thank you, Max. And so it's a, it's a holy um, set apart to God, undefiled, consecrated to God. Okay. <clears throat> so what happened in the, uh, in the Holy of Holies? The, uh, the priest went in once a year, and how did he know God was there? There was his, God's glory was in the center sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. And so there was a evidence of the presence of God in this Holy of Holies. Okay. And so, <clears throat> so uh, as, we, as we look through the scriptures and see the uh, description of the tabernacle and the temple, this is very much in view here. The fact that God would meet with his people in the sanctuary. In fact, well, in the tabernacle and in the temple both, the people could not go in themselves to meet God. They had to have a representative. Okay. And so that's the significance. There was a veil. Okay. And that's the significance of the veil being torn when Jesus uh, was crucified. There was a tearing of the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom. Well, that was signifying that there's no longer this barrier between us and God. Okay. Okay. And so <clears throat> you um, so I'm so this is a holy temple and, and I think the thing to remember here is it's a sanctuary where the um, God meets with his people. Okay. And and his his presence is known because his glory is there. Okay, also, um, as we move on here, what, um, what else can we see about this dwelling? In verse 22 is where it says in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. Some, some translations just say dwelling, that's accurate. Some say dwelling place for God by the, by the Spirit. But, but this, uh, this word for dwelling is... Uh, Actually, when I was going through, I fully expected to see the word that was used uh, for tabernacle. And the word tabernacle literally means uh, dwelling. It means uh, dwelling with God, pitching a tent. And so I expected to see that term here, a dwelling of God. Well, it's, it's uh, to my surprise, and to actually to my excitement, it's not that word. Because that would be a little bit of a problem. That's a temporary dwelling. Okay. This word is a, perm- it's a, it's a permanent dwelling. God was very precise in the words he chose, and this says it is permanent. He can't pull up the tent pegs and move on. We, we are in this together. <laughs> we, are, we are permanently a habitation for God. Okay. He's building a temple, and it's not uh, a temple built by human hands, and uh, actually the it's interesting that Stephen used that term when he was, uh, just before he was martyred, uh, and he was talking to the Jewish uh, leaders, the, I think the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he used that term, we're not. Um, and then Paul, in his address to the uh, um, Romans in Mars Hill, the, actually the, the Athenians at Mars Hill, he used that term, we're not, uh, God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands. 
But uh, if we can see the next photo there. Well, it's actually in the next one after that. This is the, the maybe you can go back. That's the, the previous one is the Parthenon that's in the re remnant that still remains in uh, Athens. But that was just an example of temples that uh, were very common in this ancient world. Pretty much every civilization had, had temples to their gods, and they worshipped those gods and those temples. But, but if we can see the, the next one, this is the, what's left of the great temple of uh, Artemis and Diana. <laughs> what, what can be built by human hands can be torn down by human hands. <laughs> God is building a building that's not built by human hands. It's permanent. It can't be torn down by people. He's going to prevail. He, isn't that what Jesus said? He, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay. Okay. So it's permanent, um, but there's a, there's a presence of God in this temple, and, and I think we, we want to stress that um, because, as I said, the, the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary, was always, uh, there was evidence of the, presence of God, I shouldn't say always, in the, uh, there was 400 years prior to uh, the incarnation that, Jesus, that God just left the temple, his glory departed, <laughs> Ichabod, the people were in such apostasy and he was so unhappy with them that he didn't, he didn't dwell there in the temple any longer, but, but uh, Ezekiel 37, uh, which alludes to the new covenant, which we're under, and, and also in Ezekiel, there was uh, a lot of instructions for building the temple that's yet to be built. And, uh, and, but he says, my dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay. So under the new covenant, God dwells in his church. His presence is in the church, in the sanctuary where the holy temple, his presence is here. And um, what a wonderful thing. But, uh, and you can imagine, just think about the <clears throat> recipients of this letter, Jews and Greeks both, and, um, and they had known um, a great amount of idolatry. They were pagans that worshipped uh, dead deities that lived in these temples. And... Uh, we kind of cluck our tongue and say, oh, those, those Gentiles, such pagans, <laughs> worshiping these idols. Brothers and sisters, that was us. <laughs> we were dead in our trespasses and sin, worshiping idols. We were such pagans. But, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, has saved us. He's delivered us from that. He's made us alive. He's using us as building blocks in his very temple, his very habitation. That's what we are here. That's what we're about. Okay. So, um, so again, how did, the, how did they know that God was present in the temple? Well, his glory was, was there. Um, so glory and presence were somewhat synonymous. We, obviously, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But... The manifest presence, as it's called, or the divine presence, was known by his glory. So, so um, 
maybe I could talk a little bit about our purpose statement as a church. And, and I think, uh, which as it's worded, uh, we exist to display the glory of God in Christ Jesus. I'm hoping that this will give more meaning to that purpose statement. Um, okay. And those word, the wording of that was, um, was carefully chosen. Uh, we, could have, we would have been accurate to say the purpose of the church exists to glorify God. Okay, well, I think we could do a study, and sometime that, that's maybe for another time. But mankind and unbelievers can glorify God as well as believers, and some can fail to glorify God. But it's, it's always in reference to God displaying his glory first. He's manifesting his glory first, and the response to that is us glorifying him. Okay. That's the order. And so in our purpose statement, we were specific in saying, okay, we exist for the display or the manifestation of God's glory. Okay. We're his dwelling place. This is where he dwells. It's a holy dwelling. And he is wanting to manifest his glory here. Okay. So so how does that how does that play out? How do we know if God is working here if he's present well that is our that is our mission statement if you if you read through that carefully and consider all of those those uh, aspects of our mission if the spirit of god is working in us in such a way that those are happening then we know that god is here present with us he's working he's building up his church by the spirit and so we, uh, that's what we're about. Okay, that's what we're about. Um, so in conclusion, um, let me just say, so what is this temple all about? It's, uh, these are words uh, that I came across, that God might indwell us, that God might commune with us, that God might fellowship with us. God, God desires to... Um, fellowship with us, and he wants us to be the vessel on this earth that he indwells. He wants to meet with us. He is the architect. He wants to give us his design. He wants to empower us for his ministry and his work. Okay. So, but I think in uh, the most fitting conclusion would also be uh, the Apostle Paul's prayer in uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this. So, uh, just... uh, Starting at verse 14, I think it is. Um, It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a glorious God you are. What a great plan you have for the church. 
thank you that you've included us in the church. Uh, it was not something that we could uh, choose or opt out of, but you have placed us here by your divine calling. And uh, we do pray for us as a church that we would, uh, we would understand the high calling that we have, uh, that we are truly a dwelling place of yours. And so may that be evident, may they be played out in our midst, uh, worked out in our midst by your hand, by the Spirit of God. And we thank you for this time. We praise you in Jesus' name.